Hi, I'm Bryce. Uh, and I'm Will. Uh, and this is SideQuests, a podcast we haven't recorded in a while, so I forgot the name for a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been an age. Yeah. But normally, we talk about video games and uh, learning and uh, other things that feel like they're a good thing to talk about in the moment. Yeah. Sums it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, staying on topic is not uh, one of our strong suits. It's a it's a yammer podcast. <laughs> yeah, there there's definitely like there's definitely a class of podcast slash uh, uh, like YouTube video type thing. There's there's one that is like a D and D one that I've been, a YouTube video that I've been watching uh, series that I've been watching a little bit of here and there, which is just. Two guys yammering for about a topic. They do a pretty good job of staying topic adjacent. Um, no. But, I, but um, I was like, oh yeah, this is like a type of thing that you can... Type of... A class of media. Yeah. It's one of these new newfangled internet med- uh, genres, I think. Uh-oh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, I, I hadn't until just now, like taken podcast and youtube channels and like said oh yeah these are approximately the same thing or like enough of the same thing that they they can be like grouped together in the same sets of conversations yeah Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) um uh do we want to talk about uh topic yeah well so um uh the most so I haven't played games very much in a while. Um, we we ostensibly talk about games, um, <laughs> but but the most recent ga- uh, game experience I've had, uh, you were there. Uh, That's we, true. You, you, you came over uh, with some other folks, and we played the beginning of Pandemic Legacy, um, January, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, yeah, and now I had played this game before. Uh, I. I gave it to Samantha for uh, birthday slash Christmas something some number of years ago, um, and we had also coincidentally re- like played it like like a couple weeks ago, like a couple weeks before we we the two of us played it. I don't know why I'm pointing because no one can hear. <laughs> it's good it. good radio though, so. <laughs> yeah, right? But you can't hear my ears wiggle. Um, sorry. <laughs> um. There's a Fozzie Bear, like, album thing. He's like, what? You can't hear my ears wiggle? Um, uh, joke. Anyway. Moving on. Um, uh, so, like, I played this game a couple, a few times uh, in the past. But then you had not played it before, was that two weeks ago? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, probably two weeks ago. Yeah, and, and to be clear, um, we both had played Pandemic, the the original game. Um, mm-hmm. The non-legacy version, quite quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. Uh, so there was like one um event in this game, so to speak. Uh, not to say event, like because the game actually has things that they call events. Um, but like an event in our playing of this game, uh, that everybody has in the first game that they play. Uh, which I guess. It, Mm-hmm. Unless you win really fast, um, yeah, 
I guess you could do that. I don't know if it's possible. I haven't really thought very hard about. Yeah, oh. the the game uh, predicts that it is possible that you that this happens, um, but it's I think it's like such a rare case that I don't think anyone will ever actually do it. But it's like technically we did the math. If everybody gets a perfect hand full of cards, and then on their turn they draw the other one um uh that you know ex like it the deck is exactly stacked so that everybody can just cure all the diseases at once uh you then like you can win in like turn two or something all right well let's let's very briefly describe pandemic um, right <laughs> in case some of the listeners may not have have played it. I, I realized in the middle of talking about all of that that I was like, oh yeah, it talks about diseases and something like that. And um, it's funny, we had decided to talk about this before recent events <laughs> happened, but uh, but yeah. Um, so so you essentially, in this game, play the CDC. Um, it is a board game. Uh, and your goal is to prevent four viruses from uh conquering the world um uh or you know becoming so bad that uh, you lose uh essentially um and everybody is on the same team is one of the important uh parts of this game um it is a cooperative game um is there yes so so each player play can has a a token that they move around and that token has some uh, there's some shared abilities that all players have, um, moving from location to location and, uh, treating disease, um, and building, building bases and doing a couple things. Um, and then each player also has special abilities. Um, and the, the game alternates between the players making moves individually, um, where they move around a map of the world and, collect cards and remove well they move around uh, around a, a map of the world and tr get hand cards to each other and remove wooden cubes from a board um wooden cubes which are disease tokens um, sometimes they're plastic cubes Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um and then after the players make a turn the the disease takes a turn and this involves drawing some cards and that tell you where to add additional disease tokens yeah. um yeah, you you go from you. There's a remove cube section and an add cube section. Yeah, um, and and when you get above a certain threshold, which is three cubes in any given location, you have an outbreak, um, which is one of the major forces in the game. So a lot of the game is the a lot of the tension of the game is trying to make sure that you won't have these outbreaks. Um, so trying to keep the level of cubes down on any given city. Um, and so that requires you to spend resources and time to remove cubes. Um, but at the same time, what you need to do is collect cards uh, to discover cures. Um, the, the mechanic for curing diseases is to collect a bunch of cards of the same color. And then that is you. then you can discover a cure using that. Um, and so the, the tension of the game is day-to-day -day maintenance trying to prevent outbreaks and disaster while trying to uh, put enough of your resources and energy and time aside to discover cures um, because if you 
focus too heavily on one or the other, uh, you will not succeed. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who want a little bit more visual uh, descriptions of this, uh, essentially the the board is a world map. Um, uh, it's got a couple other little like sections on it for keeping track of certain things, but it's it's a world map uh, with cities with connection uh, like lines drawn between city locations. Um, and those lines are convenient for you to travel along. So, you, like, you can go between, I don't know, London and Madrid, or I, I haven't actually, I'm not looking at a map. Uh, but just the same way that you can move along them, so can disease tokens in the event of an outbreak. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it looks like a big kind of, like, grid, or like a, I don't know how familiar with graph theory our audience is, but it looks like a graph uh, in that yeah. way um you could look it up <laughs> graph theory right. i think it's really interesting um and so uh and on top of this so th this is what we've described so far is regular old pandemic um it is uh so far we haven't like really talked much about the pandemic legacy which is um it's a separate game it comes in a different box uh and the legacy games are interesting uh, and kind of cool because essentially every time you play, you permanently modify the game in in ways that it tells you to do, and you get to make some choices about how you want to do it um, as well. So, uh, for example, in a lot of the the game involves um, needing to go to research stations. Uh, that's like a part of the game. There's like, you can travel easily between research stations all around the world. And uh, you have to go to a research station to actually get the cure for, for any given disease. And that's really uh, uh, one of the ways that you can permanently modify is at the end of the game, um, you can get like an upgrade that lets you permanently have a new research station rather than having to build it in another part of the world uh, it on another on another game so like uh and so that's just one way in which you can modify the uh modify how the the game works and and these legacy games it's a it's a class of games um and there's there's uh it was started risk legacy was the first legacy game um and pandemic legacy i think there's a betrayal uh legacy Ooh. Um, there's a couple others that I can't remember, but, um, but they all share this, this sense of changing the game in some way, uh, a sense of progression. Um, and they, I think they kind of learn a lot of lessons about progression and consequence, um, from, like from video games and from tabletop role-playing games. It's like, they're... Yeah, I don't know. Like that—that's where I feel like these progression mechanics really, really come from, um, and then bringing them back to traditional board games um, because it turns out that it's really fun to have consequence um, mm -hmm. and, and a sense of, of progress and moving forward. Um, yeah, one of the other ways that they do this also is they tend to take a game like Risk takes a very long time to play. 
uh, to the point where I think I've only ever finished like one game in my entire life of Risk. Um, and one of the things that, that they also do, which is kind of nice, is they take otherwise relatively long games and actually make them a little bit shorter. Um, and so like in Risk, they, they don't make it so you have to... Risk Legacy, you don't have to dominate the whole world and eliminate all the players. They give you smaller objectives. The idea is you take like a three-hour game and turn it into a 40-minute game. And then if you... One of the things that's nice is you can actually just play two sessions in a row. If you're like, I'm not done playing Risk. Risk should take three hours. Well, you can play a whole bunch of 40-minute smaller games in that same time period. So you could... you could, uh, Which which makes it a little more accessible too. some of, some of these games. Um, but also, they tend to work better if you are already familiar with the original game um that's certainly true of pen of pandemic legacy right and they, they take relatively simple rule sets and then they can kind of layer additional wrinkles and complexity over over time on them which is another like video gamey kind of lesson right like mm-hmm. uh teaching you a an extremely complicated system like one new rule at a time mm-hmm. so it's it's like in Warcraft when the next mission, you know, you get knights and then eventually you get ogre mages. Well, not if you get knights, you don't. But um. <laughs> That's true. Unless you're in some kind of bizarro land. Um, um, yeah, but and, and it's funny because like some board games do this as well in their own like, like um, uh, Agricola is a good example of a game where as you play through it, the number of things you can do expands. Um, right. which I think is really great. Um, and, and it makes it so when you're learning the game, and now that game has a lot going on and it's still pretty complicated, so it's not uh, the best. Uh, Agricola also has a, like a beginner, a simple playthrough version and an advanced version, right? Like it has, it has in the rules, it has like, don't use these cards for the simple first game. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, and, and like, there's a lot of games that have a, if you're playing your first game, do this. Um, which I, I always think is really great because there's nothing quite so terrible as seeing just how many rules there are and then having nobody want to play it with you ever and you never get to play that game. Um, and Agricola is pretty complicated and it takes a long time. So I'm not saying it's, it's not necessarily the very best example of, of this, but it does do some things that are, that are pretty nice about, um, to like help ease you into it um i think i think they take like whole categories of things you could like they take the cards out i think in the first game playthrough right yeah i think that's correct um which is nice because uh getting a handful of cards at the beginning of any game where you don't know what to do is actually really like it's really daunting uh last night i played well two rounds not the whole game of terraforming mars um a game about terraforming mars (laughs) and uh and like in the beginning you get a handful of 10 cards and like a lot of what you do is play with you you just like play these cards as like what you do and when you start out with 10 of them it's like you're just, hold on, let me read all of this. Oh, it turns out I don't know what any of them do. Hold on, what is this symbol? What is, and, like, we just all sat around, and, like, nobody had played it before. We just sat around being like, all right, I'm going to start, and 
what do I do? I don't, hold on, let me read all these things. What is, and there was just a lot of, like, looking around at what other people had and what they were doing, and just, like, it, it was, it was, it was very tricky. Um, and it did something nice in the first game, which is it just gave you a whole bunch of cards, and then... Mm -hmm. Uh, in in like the real play, you have to like decide which ones you want to keep, and and you have to pay for the ones that you want, and um and so it's it's a uh, it was nice that it removed some of that choice in the beginning of it, um, but uh, but like it it is it is always good to um to have some mechanic like that that simplifies it for the very either the first time you're playing or the beginning of every playthrough. Um, it can be very good. Are you familiar with um, No Stress Chess? Uh, no. It's a chess uh, product. Um, I think it's made by ThinkFun. Um, oh, but sounds like it. <laughs> um, and, but it's just a game of chess with some cards that tell you which pieces you're allowed to move. And you take turns drawing cards... Um, and so there's just, you have limited choice about which pieces to move. Uh, oh, and okay. So, you know, it's bad if what you want is a competitive chess game. Sure. Um, and so, you know, it's... I don't know why you're playing it under those circumstances. Um, you're doing it wrong. Um, but it's really <laughs> awesome as a, as a learning tool because you're like, all right, I have to move a pawn. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty good. Um, I, and I imagine it's really nice if to like level the playing field between very good players and not very good players. Right. Um, which is not a problem you have with pandemic. Um, actually there's, there's a different problem with having very good players and not very good players in pandemic. Uh, which is mainly like, if you kind of know what you're doing, then you, the, quite a lot of pandemic involves a discussion about what we as a team should be doing. And if somebody's just right a lot, <laughs> or like, like oh no, or they just think they're right a lot. Um, yeah, that's even worse. Um, sometimes I don't, I don't like playing because like I played it enough that I got a good idea for some some like basic strategy, and I I worry about dominating the conversation and like maybe it's kind of fun to not know what you're doing and try to figure j just try stuff. Like I went through a period of not knowing what I was doing in playing pandemic a number of times and been like, Oh, I guess we lost this time. Um, but like I tend, I have often won many of a game. Actually, I don't remember what we, did we win? We did win. Um, we did win and it was, uh, it was not hard. Um, right. Uh, it, and like we, there were like a number of veteran pandemic players in that game too. Which, right. Well, uh, I think is one of the reasons why it was not that hard. Um, but there's another thing, which is the the moment, the event that I alluded to in the, in the past that made it easier. Um, right. So so in pandemic, you're going through and you draw all these cards. Uh, they with city names on them. You put tokens on them. Uh, to represent disease, you draw cards that are your own, go into your hand, and they represent the 
um, I guess where you have knowledge or something. There was a research of some kind. It's it's um. unclear what the actual metaphor is, but at a certain point, you're playing a game, so just accept uh, the fact that you need cards to win. Right. Um. And every once in a while, you get there's a couple there's a couple big kind of catastrophic events in the game. Um. There are epidemics. Um. So when you're drawing your disease. No. When you're drawing your own cards, you get epidemics. Yeah. Um, uh, and then... there, It's a it's a card. It says epidemic. And there's a number of things that you do whenever you draw one of these cards. Um, and they're more or less evenly distributed through the deck of, of the cards that you draw that you need for curing the diseases. Right. Yeah. And actually, I like this mechanic. So I'm going to say it. That you... Divide the deck into evenly sized piles, and then you shuffle the epidemic cards into each of those piles so that they are randomly distributed. But, but all you know, there's a certain boundary to that randomness. I don't know how exactly how you describe describe what's going on, but right. Um, so it's it is still possible to get an epidemic two turns in a row, but it's. If it does happen, you are unlikely to get the next epidemic for a like a while, right. um, which among other things means that like you don't. I mean, you're feel not only safe. unlikely; yeah. you're guaranteed to not get the next epidemic for a specific number of cards. Right. Um, um, just because like you have to go through now the entirety of that next pile, um, yeah. which which is is good. It mean and it means you don't ever. You mostly don't ever feel safe, and when you do feel a little safe, it's because something terrible just happened. Uh, right. So you feel terrible. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I haven't, you know, done the math on it or thought too hard. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that getting two epidemics in a row was actually beneficial because it gave you so much knowledge that you could work with, um, mm. even though it, it feels disastrous. Um, right. Right. It's another one of those things that... Uh, might actually make it easier but seem terrible which is right where we're one of the we're going in that direction of talking about things that seem disastrous but make it easier uh right but- so you get these epidemics and you get these outbreaks um outbreaks are the other kind of disaster that can occur in pandemic and that occurs when you are instructed to add a cube to a city and that city already has three cubes on it which is the maximum number um yeah. when that happens you take a cube and you put one instead of adding it to that city getting a fourth cube there you put it on all of the neighboring cities um sometimes this sometimes one of the neighboring cities also has three cubes on it in which case that triggers another outbreak um and and you can have these kind of compounding chains of of the horrible disaster um when you get outbreaks when you get epidemics um aspects of the there's like little tracks on the pandemic board that go up um as as things occur and they they all move you towards losing um if you get too many of these uh, various things you lose mm-hmm. um but at a certain point and i don't remember what the trigger is for this event i don't remember whether it's a certain number of outbreaks or a certain number of epidemics um uh the trigger is which uh f- for the for the the worst fears confirmed event um Oh yeah, uh, I'd forgotten the name of that thing. Uh, I don't. I think it's after your second epidemic is when it happened. Yeah. Um, so and and that's almost certain to occur, um, mm-hmm. no matter how well you play, because that's just time. Right. Uh, I don't know how many 
cards there. There's one for each city, plus a couple of other cards, plus the epidemic cards. So, so it's it's something like drawing, you know, twenty cards. I right. I want to say is is how many cards you have to draw. Which if you draw two every turn, you know that's that's ten turns, and that is each individual person uh, goes. So if you're playing with four people. You go around like a couple times, and you get right. two epidemics, right? And so, and so you draw this event, and I have pulled up the text of this event, so I will, I will read it. Um, mm. uh, it says, "Worst fears confirmed. The disease with the most cubes on the board is now classified as Coda four o three a. The cure for Coda four o three a can no longer be found using known techniques. Players can continue to treat Coda four o three a, but it is drug resistant and requires one additional action to treat." Um, so there's a the action economy is a big part of what you're you're weighing on your turn. You you can do four actions on your turn, uh, generally speaking. Uh, there's there's some exceptions to that, but um, uh, so so uh, since you can only do and actions include moving or um, treating the disease or giving a card. So there's you you need your actions. Um, so the idea that you have to give up a second one um, is kind of a big deal for for this thing so it seems it seems like it's going to be quite bad now um and it picks the worst disease uh that is on the the board there's four diseases to start with um and chances are one of them is uh pretty bad <laughs> at this point yeah and right and and the idea of so it's, it's like it taking one extra action to cure um sounds i think it sounds not as bad as it is if you don't know the rules of the game mm -hmm. because it takes one action to remove one cube so taking one extra action to remove one cube means it takes twice as many actions um right it's right. not like a marginal increase it's a right it's a doubling um, um with uh and and like there's there's a special one of the players can have a special power that lets them remove more cubes for when they treat so like it in in some ways it's it's not even as bad as that seems but it does mean that like if you have that player with that special ability then they're like oh i guess i go live in the red cube land now um and so they they just like are going to be treating that one disease and that's all they're going to do with their whole life now <laughs> right and and so this is this you know this sounds very bad and it is in many ways um it makes uh, keep containing this disease um, really difficult and and it makes that disease quite dangerous but the victory condition for the game is that you cure all four diseases mm -hmm. they have just made one of the diseases uncurable so that is no longer the victory condition right right um, so that and that is the victory condition in the original game so it's it's interesting because if you are familiar with the game it's the same game but then you draw this card and you're like uh what do i do i can't possibly win but then it also changes the victory conditions to now so you only have to treat the you only have to cure the other three diseases yeah and so um and i don't i don't know if this for us anyway mm -hmm. this moment in the game i think made the game significantly easier to win right it certainly makes it faster to win and since a lot of what you're doing in the game is racing 
the the board like i think i think if there wasn't a way to win like the game is designed so that you will lose right like like eventually eventually you will get to a point where you you are guaranteed to uh to have too many outbreaks or have too many um uh or like get to the end of the the deck of cards or whatever so if uh like like it's it just gets worse and worse and piles up running out of cubes is another way the game ends and you right. lose so if if the game goes on long you have lost right um and so so making it so that you can win faster which is what it does uh means that it is easier right and it's it's neat because it's it's a it still builds the tension um mm-hmm. because you're still looking at this map of your this word this bad disease and and you still are like oh my god i don't know if we can keep all these things under control um mm. but but at the same time everyone else is like just kind of busy all right well now we only have three colors to worry about trading cards for and mm-hmm. um yeah, and uh, it also, because you know you don't have to worry about that one, um, cards are used for more than just treating the, or, or curing the disease. Uh, if you're in one of the... They, they give you some more travel options that are very powerful. Like, uh, if I have... You could... Anybody... If you have a card, you can f- discard that card to fly to the city that's pictured on that card. Um, I don't think we had mentioned yet that each card had... I, maybe I did. But the, the each card has a city name on it. And so you can use it to get to that city really easily, but you have to discard the card. So if you needed it for um, for curing the disease, then you've just given up one of your resources in order to do that. But also, right. if you're in that city, you can discard a card, the card that matches the city you're in, to go anywhere in the world. Um, and since moving is an action, uh, just getting anywhere in the world in one go is pretty great it's a pretty uh powerful uh tool that you have since it represents getting like i don't know like 15 actions to get to the other side of the world right and and that's and and that's kind of you know that's a very specific example of the core tension of the game which Mm -hmm. is uh around saving cards to cure things versus you know, sp- spending spending resources to cure things versus spending resources to treat the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, a bit of... In Pandemic, they call it researching a cure and treating the disease. So researching the cure is what you do to win, and treating the disease is what you do to remove cubes. Um, and, and I have never once played a game where at least one person hasn't mixed those two words up. <laughs> yeah. But so you th- this this core tension of the game is I have you know so now I have these cards and the you know plague is really bad in a certain location and I have cards that are that location so I simultaneously want to save them so that I can research the cure mm-hmm. and spend them so I can fly over there and and start treating diseases. Um, yeah, there's there's also a tension um, of being having your team be close together versus spread apart which is sort of core to a lot of what the game is um you need to be close together in order to trade cards and you need to be far apart to make sure that you can handle uh preventing outbreaks in the different parts of the world uh so so like 
moving towards and away from each other is like something that you're constantly doing throughout the course of the game. Or like, oh, uh, if we can get the two of us together in this city, then you can move a little bit over there to get to that research station, and then we can cure that disease. Um, but then also by getting everybody together, now no one's in Lima. So we've got a and that's about to outbreak so we should get make sure somebody gets down there uh, but uh, so it's like a that's like another one of the core tensions of this game um and so so the the movement piece on the board like that that aspect of the game is now affected by this this change in that you can uh, by by freeing up a whole bunch of cards to be able to be used for movement it actually once again makes it a little bit easier uh, in to to like get around, right? And it makes movement easier. It also makes thinking easier mm. because you no longer have to think about that. Like mm-hmm. you know, those cards are no longer useful for curing. Mm. So you don't have to wonder what should I do, right? <laughs> right. Like, and and you have a hand limit. So if you're wondering which cards you need to discard in order to meet the hand limit, the ones the you know for that disease that is the super disease, which is. Uh, it starts with a CO. What is it? Uh, Coda 403A, I believe. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. With it's some weird capitalization, which I assume is medically meaningful. But Oh, yeah. Or or appears medically <laughs> meaningful. I'm it's unclear that uh doctors worked on this game. <laughs> <laughs> um there was a yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably not a real epidemiological model. Pro- probably not very useful in our current um, world, worldwide uh, apocalypse. Yeah. But. Right. Uh, I mean, it is funny. It it does affect the way I think about it. <laughs> when I Like, whenever I hear the news and they're talking about uh, diseases spreading, I'm, I do just, like, pit, bring up in my mind the board game map <laughs> from from this game. Right. Like, except oh. that, except that in the real world, people can carry cubes just on airplanes. Yeah, that's true. Just anywhere. That yeah, they they don't have to just go from neighboring city to neighboring city. Yeah, and also, yeah, there's there's a lot that's not true. <laughs> like, it doesn't just suddenly pop up in one region, as we have learned. Right. Uh, oh, um, international travel. Yeah, so that's like that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about the the mobility aspect, um, and there's a way in which the map, like, th- there's like a bunch of free, uh, like free mechanics that the game gets by being a map of the world. Hmm. Um, like it, this idea of proximity, hmm. um, and and the the needs, like that that really ties together. A bunch of the different mechanics. Um, the the idea that you have to be simultaneously wanting to spread out and wanting to be close is a geographic version of the same tension as I want to be spending cards to research versus I want to be curing. Um, and I, I feel like there's something there's something about the map which is really intuitive because everyone mm-hmm. understands how maps work. Um, and, and but it just it like really takes all these co- these different mechanics and ties them together into a kind of cohesive 
hold. Like you could you could imagine a game that doesn't have a map and you're just holding cards and like mm-hmm. all right, I can you know let's. There was like a mechanic for trading cards somehow and right. Um, yeah, it it also helps by because like I I mentioned it looks like a graph of graph theory. That's because like it is a graph like from graph theory. Um, like there's uh, nodes and connections between nodes and you could do that not on top of a world map like right. just even have that same thing um, but it really helps because the the nodes are correspond to cities in the world that you might know where they are and maybe you don't remember where Riyadh is because uh, you you just don't um, but like because you're an American because you're yeah that's mostly what I mean <laughs> um uh, because I'm an American, uh, but then, but like you might remember where Tokyo is, <laughs> so you can you can find that one pretty easily. Uh, so like it it does help um, to and like I've I've learned geography because I've played this game, which is kind of nice. Yeah, it's funny how much uh, that geographic knowledge really helps with the setup and and running of the game. Um, I played. Have have you ever? done uh set up lord of the rings risk using the rules where you draw cards and like draw location cards and place cubes based on the location cards because it's Uh, really hard (laughs) you like look at this map you like draw a card you're like lothlorien where is lothlorien is it to the east to the west (laughs) who knows i believe uh i'm trying to i believe it's got to be to the east because they haven't gone to the west yet I'm trying to remember which direction the elves go <laughs> in that book. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, and and then I mean that's and that's Lothorian. There's like all these other little towns that aren't Lothorian or Mordor or Isengard or Gondor, mm-hmm. and then Uh-oh. you just don't even know where yeah, they I'm... are. That's true. The, Bree, Bree the is probably is... near the Shire. <laughs> that's true. It's one town over. It's got to be. The thing is, I don't actually like Risk, uh, so the idea of playing a different version of Risk is really unappealing to me. Uh, I and I played Risk Legacy, and I though I appreciated the changes it made to Risk that made it more palatable is uh, maybe the word. Uh, it's still Risk. Like you still have that same dice mechanic, which I hate. Like I just, I just really find it deeply unsatisfying, in a way that I just don't really want to try to make that better. Uh, I, I just don't, I just don't want to have to roll dice in that way, <laughs> um, which is still like a pretty core part of risk. Yeah, legacy. I mean, I think um, or you know lord of the rings risk or whatever yep yeah lord of the rings risk shares uh with risk legacy it it shares that it makes the game faster um Hmm. lord of the rings risk has has a fellowship token that moves from the shire to uh to mount doom and if it when it reaches Hmm. mount doom the game ends um and oh okay whoever has the most territory at that point wins which is an interesting reading. Um. Right. Well, the idea that you could win even though, like, as Sauron, even though, like, you've just been obliterated and your army's wiped out. I don't remember in those books slash movies, like, 
what happens to the armies when Sauron gets defeated. Because, like, I vaguely remember it sort of coincidentally is timed so that the war wins at approximately the same time as the ring gets thrown into the pit. You know, Mount Doom. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I could be wrong, I think it's one of those... uh evil needs a strong ruler to keep it together or it descends into chaos and infighting and loses i feel like that's a a fantasy trope Hmm. um that's Uh, why killing the dark overlord always always helps um but good also needs like a champion person who's really good at doing stuff in order to win so like they kind of think that that's because good is everybody hmm but that's an underdoggy champion. That's like uh, it's different. Mm. It's not a leader. Yeah. Or not like. A uh, yeah, I guess it depends. It depends, I guess. Hmm. Well, I'll I'll think about this and <laughs> yeah. come back to it. <laughs> um, I did. Uh, um. So so uh, we in so we talked about this like moment in risk. Le- or sorry this moment in pandemic legacy pandemic. that yeah pandemic legacy that uh that makes it seem really bad and like makes it seem like everything got so much worse but in in some ways actually just makes the game easier um and like i was trying to think of other of other times when this has happened or when I've seen something like this happen. Um, and what I, I came up with one example that happened recently, which is in a game of D and D that I was running, uh, for my coworkers. Um, and, uh, it was, I just wanted to, it, it occurred to me that I was doing this thing. And if you're, um, it's, it's funny the number of ways in which running, D&D is just designing a game uh, yourself. Right. I mean, there's like a lot of mechanics that you're not designing, but like you're doing all this level design. You're doing like, um, you know, in like in these sort of like global large scale changes in design for like what people are actually facing at any given time. Um, you're you're doing a lot of, I guess you're tuning is what, what that kind of is. Um, that concept where you, you're... Um, you're like tuning the experience that they're having and designing the experience of your players, um, which itself is, you know, at least a type of game design. Um, uh, but I was, I was doing this and there were, um, uh, two, they were going through a cave like you do. Uh, and there was like a manticore chained up (laughs) and, uh, and two guards, that were darklings, um, which I just want to sing the Darkwing Duck theme song every time I think of the say their name of this creature out loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're they're not Darkwings, um, but they're uh, there are these two uh, two guards, and then they go up and they're like fighting the guards, uh, and there's also this Manticore that they may or may not have to fight. Um, and may have to fight it at the same time. Uh, but it turns out that what I did was I had uh, one of the 
because like you know i left it kind of open i'm like there just is this thing if you decide to attack it then like you gotta fight a thing um but so they start fighting it i'm like oh but one of them's gonna run away to warn everybody else in the cave that they have to deal that they're there they're like and they're like oh no he's gonna go warn everyone else that they're coming so the players were all like oh crap this is gonna be bad um that like it's worse that it ran away when i literally halved or like you know and it turns out they didn't end up fighting the manticore um so like it halved the total number of enemies and they're like oh no um (laughs) like this is gonna be worse um so so that uh that was something that i that i thought of as doing that of like like reducing the number of of enemies in a way that makes it feel like it's going to be worse in the future or the near the near future was like just one one like thing that i thought of that where i did this i like made this happen was like aha i made it easier but in a way that you like emotionally feels worse right and and you're you're like deferring tension and we're back after uh some technical difficulties um it's been a couple hours since we were last in the middle of this conversation so it might be a little bit a little bit discontinuous yeah discontinuous yes discontinuous no no, i'm not gonna say that i couldn't decide whether i wanted a noun or a yeah adjective so that's true uh yeah we were um we had just been talking about i had told a story about a manticore uh it wasn't actually about the manticore at all um there were two guards and one of them ran away and uh the other one stayed and i made the battle easier but uh delayed the uh it made it seem like it was going to be worse in the future for them uh which i think was was like effective at making them think that like oh no that was bad even though I had just made it easier for the players. Right, and, and, and so that got me thinking about this this idea of, like, events. It, it, it's kind of like moving tension around, where there was tension in the moment, and then, you know, and then you can push it back and then have there be tension tension for the future. Or or maybe... Um, and that this, this is, like, a very common... This happens a lot in media, um, in general, mm-hmm. in storytelling, where, where you know, you have these small resolutions, and but the the small resolutions are part of a bigger a bigger arc that is making bigger and bigger things unresolved. Um, yeah, it it might not be that there. I I'm the way I'm thinking of it is there w- wasn't tension right now. There was like danger right now. Right. We, we sacrificed some present danger for some future tension. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's we know that that like whatever's going on whatever happens in this room, they're going to have to uh be um they they're going to when they're done not just like dilly-dally and you know, hang around and they're going to have to like move because they know that there's a problem just up the way. Um, and so uh, there, it adds tension to the whatever happens next. And they didn't really get uh, much farther than this one combat in that game. Um, right. 
Yeah, and, and so I guess it was making me think of in like serial media, um, mm. like TV shows and things like that. I feel like there's a lot of like in in a TV show with a big arc, there are frequently at the end of an episode something is resolved in a way that like handles the moment to moment problem that was the the episode but leaves the the broader situation worse um right. you know like you defeat the the henchman but the big bad has gotten the artifact um right or like maybe you they get the artifact but it's been used and so, or like or you know whatever is going on I was yeah, thinking... or, I just recently watched um, season three of Buffy. Okay. Um, again, um, uh, it's the one where they're in, where they graduate um, with the mayor. Oh yeah, the um, mayor. The mayor is um, good. That was a good season. Spoiler alert for season three of Buffy. Um, but I fear <laughs> at this point, I don't think I need to talk too around it too much. I I think we've already spoiled <laughs> Buffy. If you've listened to any of the past episodes. Um, like pretty but much all the Joss Whedon shows. There's an episode where um, Willow gets captured by the mayor. Okay. Uh, I, I think they the the Scoobies get the books of Ascension, which are an important artifact hmm. um, for reasons. Mm-hmm. And then they're doing some recon, and Willow ends up getting captured by Faith. Um, and then the end uh, of yeah. the episode. They have to do like a trade, and they trade the books of Ascension back to get Willow back. Um, oh. You know, and that's like a, I feel like that that is a very classic tension ratcheting resolution. Is like the the trade with the baddie, um, right? It's yeah, it's funny because in a lot of things they won't do that. Like the idea that you would give anything to the bad guy is uh, is like just out of the question. Like you would just in some classic adventure media um like oh like the idea that you would negotiate at all with the the big bad is like out of the question and it's one of the good things about joss whedon's work where they're like oh actually maybe the best thing to do here is lose ground um but then also it gets their their wizard back (laughs) their adventuring party so like yeah we've made it easier in some way and you know you're gonna need your wizard later, right? <laughs> right, because they can cast the the big spells. Does yeah. she do magic yet? At that point, she does magic. She's not, you know, she hasn't reached her full potential. She's still right. low level. Okay, um, <laughs> it is a, and I try not to do it too much, but it is really easy to draw like, oh, this was somebody's D and D campaign, like correlations in a lot of pieces of media. Uh, yep. when you're watching them and uh, I will refrain from doing it too much it was just very fitting in this case because she is their wizard <laughs> they've got their like you know fighter and their wizard and their I don't know Xander a bard maybe <laughs> could be a bard yeah that's what I was thinking yeah it's the best bet uh, that I have for it <laughs> we don't yeah there's there's not a clear Xander character class in in D anD D. That's okay. He's like the NPC that you have to guard through, the, the, or like any video game. He's like the 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 what is it? The escort quest where right, yeah. He walks one speed through the whole episode, and everybody has to 
you have to be like, man, I want to, I can run so much faster than you, NPC. That, that season also has one of my favorite episodes, which is the one that is all about Xander, like saving the high school from getting blown up by a bomb while an apocalypse is happening in the background, but oh, no one yeah. will pay any attention to him. That one is really good. There's, it's lots of like, you know, the, the cartoon trope of the hallway of doors and they like run through from one side uh-huh. to the other. That's just right. m- more or less what's going on in the background the whole time. And Xander is just sort of like walking along the hallway as other people come in and out of frame. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> I forgot why we were talking about Buffy. Oh, yeah. The the media... There's some media tropes that that like do the same, same thing. Like, especially um, if if it relies around re- revolves around the MacGuffin. Um, so the, like in that case, the books of Ascension being the MacGuffin, at least for that, like short part of the arc. Um, it like the good guys can't actually do anything with it. Like it's not actually valuable to them inherently. Um, so they give up something that is like, you know, they're told is bad in order to get, like their actual like person that is is valuable to them back um and like i'm trying to think of anything like just anything else with the MacGuffin where you like pretty much everything uh where you can like give it up in order to gain some other advantage yeah i feel like i feel like there's a lot of MacGuffin hostage trades but i'm having blanking on them now I think there's one in Final Fantasy IV as well. I think you maybe give a crystal to Kane in exchange for, for Rosa to get freed. Oh. Um, I haven't actually played Final Fantasy IV. Uh, I've played a weirdly a weird number of Final Fantasies, but it's not... I haven't played four or six. <laughs> I think I haven't played four. I've played five. Anyway. I don't know. Yep. You could probably uh, find all of the Final Fantasies that either of us have played if you listen to old episodes. <laughs> they've come a, up. They've come up before. Final Fantasy Bingo. Um, Ooh, yeah. Well, that probably wraps it up for this this episode. We're getting on to. Yeah, I I was going to talk about, and maybe in the future we can talk about Stardew Valley and Death Stranding. But I think we've been yammering for long enough uh, yeah. this time around, and we can just save that for another time. Well, hopefully it will be a sooner other time than, than the last uh, break. Yeah, that's my plan. Now that we've got a system in place, which is good, and if I keep my computer charged <laughs> for the next one, it'll be easier. Yeah, I'm Bryce. Uh, and I'm Will. And this has been SideQuests. So, bye. Uh, bye. Until next time.